Welcome to the Anti-Racism Book Club, hosted by Giles and Manetta Morrison. Hello. Hello. This is the Anti-Racism Book Club with Giles and Manetta. This is episode seven, where we do a roundup and review of How to Be an Anti-Racist by Professor X. Kenny. Yes, it's been hmm, more than seven weeks. Yeah, it's been 18 chapters mm. that we've had to go through. Some particularly long. Yeah. They weren't evenly paced, but um, definitely an incredible journey that we've taken. Absolutely. Over the last couple of months reading this book. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. Absolutely mm-hmm. great. So for this episode, we're going to be actually going through three main areas. So the first thing is looking at the main highlights of the book for us. Mm-hmm. Then we look into the actual challenges that we faced by reading the book. Yeah. It's a very challenging book. And then finally, the actions. Like, What are actually the next steps for us now that we've read this, now that we've gained so much knowledge, seen certain case studies and the like, how are we going to turn these into actionable steps yeah. to make us into racist? Mm. So should we go straight to it then, B? Yeah, starting off with our highlights. So I think something that both of us loved was the clear definitions. Yeah. And the book starts with definitions and it's desperately needed. And pretty much every chapter after the first chapter also continues with definitions because, mm-hmm. as Professor Kendi so eloquently says, that if you are not clear on your definitions, how can you start a conversation? That's it. If someone says sun, S-U-N, and you both have different definitions thereof, you know, the re- remaining conversation is just going to not work and particularly when it comes to topics that are so weighty and also can also trigger so much emotion Mm -hmm. um you need to be very clear on what it means to be anti-racist what it means to be racist um and so that was one of the things that was a highlight to both of us for sure yeah and i think even just having that definition of racist versus anti-racist just getting that clarity that to be a racist is one that supports or even enacts a variety of racist ideas, racist mm. policies. Mm-hmm. And anti-racist is the opposite. Yeah, It's very simple, but it means that by definition, an inaction is still an action. Yes. So when you face racism and you don't do anything about it, mm-hmm. you're being racist. Yeah. Like This is not something people like to hear, mm-hmm. but it's a fact. If there is racism going on around you, even if you don't recognise it as racism, you're not doing anything for mm. it, you're part of the problem because yeah. you're not part of the solution. Exactly. Being new, there is no such thing as being neutral here. Yes, yes. And that was, I think, definitely a key takeaway for us that yeah. there, there is no grey area. That's that's one of our other highlights. There is no grey area. It's either mm. racist or anti-racist, yeah. nothing in between. I think the other thing with the definitions was on the topic of um, being an assimilist or a segregationist. So um, an assimilationist yeah. is someone who feels that, you know, their actual way of living is superior to all others, mm-hmm. but they believe that others with the right training and mentoring and support resources, so on and so forth, can rise to the lofty heights of their own mm-hmm. superiority. Yeah. This is a racist idea. Mm-hmm. It's one that is commonly held now, how many times have you heard someone who can't speak your language and think that maybe they're dumb? Mm. They're not dumb. They just don't speak your language. Exactly. How exactly. many times you've 
notice that people are eating food in a way that either you wouldn't eat it or actually ingredients that you just simply wouldn't eat. Mm. And you think that they're terrible people, maybe savages, just mm. otherwise not great. That's a racist way of thinking. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. That's, that's racism. Mm-hmm. But that is an assimilationist view. Mm-hmm. And it contrasts to someone who's a segregationist, which a lot of us are a lot more aware of, even if we don't experience it ourselves. Mm. And, you know, South African apartheid is a great example of that, obviously in the South, in the US. So that is where somebody has the racist idea that not only do they have a superior way of living, Mm -hmm. that their ideas, their policies are better, but all other ways of living are permanently inferior. No matter what resources, what time, what mentoring Mm -hmm. that you provide, actually those people are never going to come up to your standards. So you must permanently keep them away from you. Mm. That's a segregationist. That's a very obvious racist. Mm -hmm. But there is the assimilationist racist view and racist way of life that is being enacted all the world over mm-hmm. right now as you're listening to this mm-hmm. i'm certain that it's going on mm-hmm. and it's terrible mm-hmm. and particularly you will face it where you are someone who does not appear to be of the indigenous population mm-hmm. or what has now become particularly with the situation in the united states was become the most common population because mm. the indigenous population obviously they they're being assimilated into the way of being in the US. Yeah. You know, their way of life is being snuffed out. Yeah. It's terrible. We see this in Australia as well. There's a lot of efforts by Australian government to try and keep um, Aboriginal people maintaining their way of life, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of them that can be heavily persecuted, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So just learning about those, literally in the second chapter, right at the beginning of mm. the second chapter. So we're talking about reading for maybe an hour yeah. and come across those. It's very, very powerful, very challenging. Yeah. Although they're highlights, they were challenging because it gave me the understanding that even in the United Kingdom, there was parts of me that was being assimilated. Now that Veneta and I are in Germany, we're being assimilated. And Veneta mm-hmm. is a German citizen. Her mm-hmm. family originally from, um, from Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. But actually, there's ways that you don't feel like you're being completely mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. and this comes from being assimilated and mm-hmm. unless we call it out it will never stop mm-hmm. it will never change that's it so those definitions in general very very powerful any any other very definitions powerful. you want to highlight i think the one that was introduced much later the third form of racism mm-hmm. in a way was the integrationist mm-hmm. where it, it has to do with okay let's not separate people let's bring everybody together but we're bringing them all together under one race so it's kind of similar to the assimilationists but it's more so it has to do with the space mm-hmm. and ownership of space um and i thought that was quite an interesting one as well but to be honest every single definition was eye-opening yeah. so even to the point where you know i think one of the final definitions in the book was the definition of activist yes and it was like oh one who um affects power or affects change mm. and i was like i would have never described activists like that i thought activists is about protesting and demonstrating and you know calling out what's wrong but actually yeah. professor kendi argues that if you do not bring about change through your activism you're not an activist and i'm That's like right. wow okay and that he's coming for everybody yeah that that's clearly calling a few people out mm-hmm. for the fact that they're mm-hmm. wasting time 
They may feel yeah. that they're doing something to, you know, fight the struggle, make life better. But if you're not bringing about any form of change, mm-hmm. you're, you're literally wasting your time. Yeah. And as an activist, yeah, it's a one who has a record of power or policy change. Yeah. So unless you have that behind your name, you can't call yourself an activist. Yeah. And demonstrating, you know, having mm-hmm. a placard outside a hospital complaining about issues with health insurance, mm-hmm. that's not going to bring any change. Mm-hmm. What you need is somebody who's a policymaker, someone who's yeah. got power to actually be on your side, mm-hmm. divert funds in that direction, mm-hmm. protesting. That's what brings about change, not demonstrations. Yeah. Demonstrations are just making noise. It's like being that, that fly buzzing around in the... We'll just have to edit this. Yeah. The video's going to have to be taken down. This is proper messed up, V. I'm, so I'm not going to lie. Oh, well. I don't even know where to begin. Since I was trying to get the... But I forgot yeah, that you put you, the stats in The, the problem is, is that you shouldn't be doing these things. Right. So let's center ourselves and we go back. So next, then, we're going to go into stats. Yeah. So even the Americanized stats, there was still stuff going on where, like, things are deep. Mm. Like, it's what I really rate about Professor Kendi is that he takes his research very seriously. Yes. He makes sure that he's got the right facts being mm-hmm. presented when he's doing what he's doing. And he mm-hmm. makes a huge, huge difference. It makes you trust what you're saying so much more. Mm-hmm. And even though they are quite Americanized or you know relevant to the American um, community, we can still draw a lot of sense from it. Mm-hmm. So one um, fact that actually wasn't American was relating to how genetically different or similar we actually yeah, are as different races. Do you want to go into that? Lee? Yeah, I think I thought it was really important, interesting, and and again, revelatory that actually, genetically speaking, there is more ethnic diversity within the African continent than there is outside of it, um, which I guess is what feeds all those stories about Africa, obviously being the cradle of of mm-hmm. the earth and and all those kind of things. But actually, West Africans are genetically more similar to Europeans than they are to East Africans, mm-hmm. which I, again, that's something that I just thought was mind blowing, yeah. you know? Um, and it, we can talk about the reasons why that's the case, you know, cause it obviously has to do with history and mm-hmm. migration, but also with slavery and also with missionaries potentially, yeah. you know, but um, I thought that was such an Im- interesting and important point. Yeah. 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 So stats in general, just being there is, is really, really powerful. Mm. And it's, like I said, it, it helps develop that trust to know that this is someone who really knows what they're talking about. It's terrible when someone is trying to make those of points and they have nothing to, to back up their points with. Mm. How can you believe what they're saying? Mm-hmm. So I think him being a professor, he knows he has to do that. Exactly. So the next one then would actually be the fact that there's no shades of grey. You're either racist or anti-racist. As yeah. I said earlier on, with regards to our definitions, but it's just the reason we've got that as a separate point is the fact that actually, if you feel you can be neutral, you mm. won't be 
actually anti-racist mm-hmm. you'll always be a little bit racist yeah and that's why it's so important that we just emphasize again why you you can't sit on the fence yeah exactly exactly so the next one we yeah so the next one was um this whole concept of the terms racist and anti-racist being like peelable name tags not permanent tattoos and again these are like that this comes up in like the first chapter and both mm. of us like oh okay what does that mean not you know and it's, it's kind of referring to the fact that we need to take the stigma out of these words because nowadays when you're calling somebody racist it's offensive yeah it's offensive it's not descriptive it's offensive mm. because of what people assume a racist is only like the kkk or whatever so obviously if you're calling me the kkk i'd be offended by that yeah, yeah. but actually what professor kennedy is saying actually no we need to see them as the terms that they are descriptive terms that they are and if you are doing or not doing something supporting or expressing um something racist then you are being racist in that moment but in the next moment you can be anti-racist by doing something or not doing something that is that is uh, by oh yeah doing something that is anti-racist, not doing something that is racist, supporting and expressing anti-racism. And he basically talks about the fact that we cannot become either or. It's our actions, our our words, and our thinking that defines what we are doing in every single moment. All we can do is strive to be anti-racist. Yeah, that's right. So the next point then is the fact that (laughs) black people can be racist too. Yeah. Like we, we can often feel that it's kind of impossible to be a racist Mm. as a person of color. And it is a delusion. Mm -hmm. It's a delusion because there's this kind of other untruth, in my opinion, is an untruth, that you can only be racist if you have power. Mm. It's got nothing to do with power. Mm. But even if it did, as Professor Kennedy has explained, there's been many politicians. We mm-hmm. just have to look at a lot of the world leaders across the African continent who are black, who are ridiculously corrupt. Mm-hmm. They're siphoning money that's been given to them from taxpayers, mm-hmm. from the private industries to help build up infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And then the people are starving. The people are crying. The mm-hmm. people are hungry. The people are just suffering. So you can't say that that is simply down to, you know, some sort of corruption externally. No, this is the black people that's mm-hmm. doing it to themselves. So black people can be racist. We've mm-hmm. even seen with, you know, um, uh, Mugabe back in his time in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. He was extremely racist yeah. against white people. He's seen what white people had done who had come to his country, mm-hmm. had stolen his lands, in effect. Yeah. And he was fighting the the injustices that he endured and his people endured with more injustices. Mm -hmm. That's still racism. That's still racism. Yeah. And so the reason as well why we we have this point for people to know that, you know, black people can be racist is that we need to check ourselves in understanding what are we doing to be anti-racist. We'll talk a bit more because there's other highlights, particularly challenges, which goes into this point. Mm. But even just looking at colorism, you know, we get racism within races, yeah. you know, just because you're dark skin, you must be dumb. You, you know, you're never going to get married. Mm. You know, you just live a very different life to us because we're light skin. This is nonsense. These are racist ideas and it's discrimination Yeah, where people feel ostracized, where people are not being included. Yeah. This is racism. Yeah. 
And it's made headlines quite recently with, um, you know, the Netflix show Indian Matchmaking that we mm-hmm. watched. Yeah, yeah. That actually caused quite a lot of ripple effects because colorism is very clear in there. It's the amount of times that people have said that this person needs to be fair. Um, and that's not meaning kind or equal, no, but means fair nice in skin, skin complexion, you know. Um, because obviously India has that caste system. So, yeah. of course, it's something that they're still working through as well. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... It was good to highlight because I think Vanessa and I have already been aware of that, but it's just really great that Professor Kennedy has touched on that point Mm -hmm. in different ways throughout the book. Just to challenge um, people of colour to realise, you know, you're actually being racist, you can do something better. Yeah. You can can definitely be doing better. And just one thing that I want to mention with regards to this is the fact that he says, actually, when we say black people can't be racist, he calls it a powerless defense. When we say that, it actually we're underestimating black people and we're overestimating white people. Yeah. Um, and that is something that I don't think we recognize when, we, when we're adamant that black people cannot be racist. We don't recognize that we're taking away power yeah. from black people who actually have power and ignoring that power, further in feeding into the um, conversation that and uh, yeah, into the conversation that actually black people will always be powerless. That's not mm, true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Okay. So the next point then, um, which is the final one here, is Kendi's personal story. Mm. Like, it's a little bit of a spoiler. You know, Professor Kendi, he actually had to endure cancer. Mm. It was bowel cancer he had. And it was metastatic as well. It spread. Uh, he's a cancer survivor, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope that he's still in remission. Mm. But he he endured a lot. And, mm. you know, he comments in every single one of the 18 chapters on some aspects of his personal life, particularly mm. with the first chapter talking about when he was giving a speech about, in effect, what it meant to be a black person and, you know, how we're supposed to be a particular way but it was riddled with racist ideas about mm. black people. And everybody in the audience was clapping and applauding him and celebrating what he's saying. Mm. And it's just him being able to look back on that part of his life and mm. realise that it wasn't quite right. Mm. He can learn from it, he can grow from that and become a man who strives for anti-racism. I can't say he's an anti-racist, he's striving for anti-racism. Mm-hmm. No, no one, I think, at least for quite some time mm. in the future can still be completely anti-racist. They mm. can strive for it, but there are going to be times when you may still have racist ideas mm. and still have to deal with racist policies. Mm-hmm. But still, he's he's gone through a journey where he's been challenged on homophobic, transphobic views, which we'll talk about in a bit more. Mm. And he's, he's become a better man for it. Yeah. And it's just seeing how he's grown through the book because he's telling his story from when he was basically a teenager to mm. the man he is now. It's very, very good, very yeah. touching, very personal. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I think that um, kind of added to that, the structure of the book is mm. great. Yeah. When you actually get into it, it makes so much sense. Like yeah. Each chapter leads onto another sort of like it's it's beautiful, right? It's very academic writing. Mm. So it will take a moment to kind of get into it. And it's probably best doing that reading rather than doing listening to the audiobook, for example. But um once you get into it, it it's so logical, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So moving on then to the challenges. Yes. 
So the first challenge is actually about the fact that the intersections an anti-racist needs to be mindful of. Yeah. You know, they're very, very challenging. And specifically, what we're meaning here is that to actually be anti-racist means you've got to be a feminist, mm-hmm. you've got to be anti-homophobic, mm-hmm. and you've got to be anti-transphobic. Yeah. Now, the reason why this is deemed a challenge for us mm-hmm. is not because we're necessarily, you know, anti-feminist or homophobic or transphobic. Mm-hmm. It's specifically about the fact that unless you are intrinsically taught to be yeah. a feminist, mm-hmm. you are taught to be anti-homophobic, mm-hmm. you're taught to be anti-transphobic, mm-hmm. it's very easy to actually be the opposite. Mm-hmm. Simply because you don't know what it means yeah. to be the former. Yeah. And that when when we read about this, it was very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we don't identify ourselves as being homosexual. I'll mm-hmm. be a bit worried at this stage of my marriage if my wife mm-hmm. told me that she was, you know, she'd be even worried if I said, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we're clearly heterosexual. We don't know what it means to be homosexual. Mm-hmm. Not, not really, like, obviously we're all humans, but it's something about the struggle that's intrinsic to someone who's mm-hmm. homosexual versus just someone who's a person of colour. It's like black, it's like white people saying, you know, we don't understand what it means to be black. Yes. Like, yeah. Someone actually has to teach you these things. Yeah, there's a history of, of oppression. There's a history of, uh, of a particular type of oppression. And it's a yeah. particular type. That doesn't mean that people don't struggle, yeah. but, you know, especially because of how the world in, in previous past and how many parts of the world still are mm-hmm. homophobic or transphobic. It's not, we can't just say, yeah, we completely understand it. Yeah. And especially as someone whose job at the moment, after working as a doctor where you do have to care about your patients, and now in design, you have to try and as best as possible understand the needs of people using the products or services that you're making. This isn't a situation where you have to just try and empathize. Mm. You actually need facts. You mm. actually need stories you need knowledge you need Mm -hmm. to have experiences that either you've had Mm -hmm. or experiences that someone else has had that they've told you Mm -hmm. you can't just try and imagine you know like Mm -hmm. oh i can feel it would be really bad to be someone who's attacked and they're homosexual Mm -hmm. no you actually need to know that's the obvious stuff (laughs) you know there's clearly some more minutia to all of this Mm -hmm. particularly around black people who happen to be transgender Mm -hmm. like the average age of life someone who is, you know, transgender, the life expectancy is what? 35 years. 35 years old? 35 years? At 35 years old in modern day. US, you know, it's not in, in a third world country, so-called third world country. Yeah, the because there's, there's elderly people that are still living in, in places that are riddled by civil war. Mm. We're talking about people who are transgender dying before they even have the chance to reach their 40th birthday. Mm. This is just like, this is actually a tragedy. Mm. Mm-hmm. This shouldn't be the case, yeah. but it is. And so when we were learning more about this, we're like, there's clearly a gap in our knowledge yeah. and understanding and appreciation. Like we get very hung up on the fact that we don't want to suffer racism. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to forget that there's people who it's the racism on top of other areas of their life, other ways that they can identify as an individual, Mm -hmm. which makes the racism all the worse. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to be transgender. 
but you're transgender and your skin is milk chocolate. Mm. Wow, mm. you're in trouble. Literally, it's not me just speaking, e- exactly. speaking that's, ill that's of what these the stats people. Are saying. That's what the stats are saying. And we need to figure out why. We need yeah. to figure out why. As an anti-racist, we need to be able to figure out why and, and change that. And get to the root of the problem and be able to change that. And yeah, see what we can do as individuals. And this is this is why we have things like Black Lives Matter. Like mm. people often forget. Like just go to the website, you go to the about page. Black Lives Matter was triggered by the death of a black man, mm-hmm. but its leaders down to the reasoning why it needs to exist is specifically to support the most vulnerable of black people, which are the homosexuals and the transgender mm. who happen to be people of colour. Mm. That's why Black Lives Matter exists. A lot of people don't realise this mm. is part of the history and the reason why it continues to exist to this day. Because mm. not, I don't think it's something that they really talk about much. Mm. It's part of the background noise. But that is the reason. Like, mm. If you can actually make the lives of a transgender Black man woman. or black woman, black woman, particular. black woman in particular, if you can make their lives better with the right policies, it should be making the lives better of all black people. Mm. Full stop. It's not perfect. Mm. And I can't say what that, you know, unique set of policies would be mm-hmm. for an individual country level. Mm-hmm. But at a high level, it means that regardless of the color of your skin, your sexuality, mm. your gender identity, your religion as well, mm-hmm. actually, you are fully accepted. Mm. Fully accepted, like mm. fully, fully accepted. And that's a challenge for a lot of mm. people. It's a challenge. Mm. So moving on then, the next area. This was kind of, the, we touched on this point of, you know, our, our focus often only being on what is relevant to us. Mm. But actually, when we talk about equality, which is the aim of anti-racism, it's equal standing of all people. It means that it needs to encompass every expression of identity and individuality. But yeah. yeah, we've touched on that already. Yeah. And then the last one really that was quite challenging for us is, you know, there's a need for more protests and links to the right people, as in those who are policymakers, mm-hmm. people who actually have the power. And we need less demonstrations. Like it comes from the definition of what a protest is mm-hmm. versus a demonstration, which mm-hmm. really did blow our minds. And it's very, very strong to, mm-hmm. to know actually what are you doing about protesting? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to protest, but if you're going to do something, mm-hmm. you should be protesting, you shouldn't be demonstrating. Yeah, because protest brings brings change. Yeah. Um, just to, to kind of highlight, so protest is organizing people for a prolonged campaign that forces racist power to change mm-hmm. a policy. Um, demonstrations are more so um, short-term kind of movements mm-hmm. that raise awareness of a problem. And so one of the very poignant um, um, points that Professor Kennedy makes is that demonstrations to pay to racist powers yeah. are like children throwing a tantrum to parents. So they'll be like, oh, this is annoying, but most of the time they can ignore them yeah. unless they've got something to lose, like a reputation or whatever, yeah. then they might change things. But actually what we want is a protest where you are forcing that power to change a policy because it's going to have an economic impact, because it's going to have you know, a reputational impact, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean that demonstrations are useless though, because but mm. demonstrations work perfectly well 
to raise awareness, to support people emotionally as well, yeah. who are seeing a problem. So, you know, if you, if, if initially as a black queer person, you're the only one who's saying, I need equality, you know, my life matters. And then suddenly you have a array of people who are saying, doing the same, that is emotional support that is priceless, yeah. you know, but the point is that we can't stop at demonstrations. Yeah. We need to move on to protests And as to, well. to build on that is that a good demonstration should help to highlight the people yes. who you can then work with to protest with. Yes. Should highlight the policymakers. If, exactly. if it's a good demonstration, you know. Yeah. It's not always the case, but that's what you, you would hope it helps with. Mm -hmm. The next thing um, are actions. So we have identified four main actions here. Mm -hmm. And the first one, kind of obvious, be anti-racist in our thoughts and behaviours. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy one, mm -hmm. but it's whenever, you know, you have an idea, you think, is this a racist one mm -hmm. or is it an anti-racist one? Mm -hmm. And the nature of it, you should normally have to think about it with the food that you're eating. Not always, sometimes you have to, but generally speaking, you know, just think, is flying to this country, is buying this product, is discussing this topic, is having this view of someone who's entered the room or these mm. people who are immigrating to the country that you live in, mm -hmm. you know, is whatever idea or way that you're responding to the world around you, is it racist or anti-racist? And actually consider having actual anti-racist views. Mm -hmm. So then the next one, is call out all forms of discrimination when you see them. Yeah. This this can be quite quite challenging. It mm -hmm. can be quite scary actually mm -hmm. to call out racism, to call out any view of discrimination because mm -hmm. it exposes you to be attacked as well. Mm -hmm. And at times it's even considered whistleblowing. Mm -hmm. You could lose your job. Mm -hmm. It's really like there's a lot of people who would rather just keep quiet because they feel it's the safer option. Mm -hmm. And normally it is, but if you want to bring about change, there are times when there are costs that need to be paid. Yeah. It's whether you're willing to pay that cost, whether you could pay that cost. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So next one. Yeah, so we want to make it our charge to share knowledge and resources on anti-racism. You know, we started this book club with the idea and with the intention to bring people together, to have these conversations to clarify definitions mm -hmm. before we are then clear on okay what can I do you know we're not mm -hmm. here to to um force an agenda on people but mm -hmm. we're here to give options with regards to this is in the realm of anti-racism what do you want to do in that and that's really heavy on our hearts to do so following this um having read this book you know we want to look at how we can kind of create a summary create a guide for people to be able to go through it even with the next book that we've got lined up any other resources that kind of come to mind for for us and from us things that we want to share on our different platforms just to help people recognize where they can invest you know and that, and that kind of ties in with our next point about looking at where we as well as um, others can donate can invest can demonstrate and can also protest. Yeah, definitely. So they're not easy actions, mm -hmm. if I'm honest. It is a, it's something that has to be done on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You need to consciously think about it. But that's that's what we're about. We, mm -hmm. we want to be anti-racist. We want the world to be anti-racist. We want our future children to be anti-racist. Mm -hmm. The people around us to be anti-racist. Mm -hmm. we, we need to start off that ourselves. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So, last but not least, then is just a little promo. bit of information, some promo for you for what's coming up for yeah. season two of the Anti Racism Book Club. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about this some more than Vanessa? Yeah, so we are going into why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. And we we desperately wanted to read something that is more um, European-centric, mm-hmm. particularly British. Um, and so Rennie Edelodge is a British journalist, Nigerian-British journalist. Um, she's a woman as well, so I'm very excited to read from her experience because obviously Professor Kendi came from the male American heterosexual perspective. And so, yeah, we just wanted to add more voices to the conversation because how are we going to know you know the the ins and outs of the conversation if we don't Mm -hmm. listen to the voices within it so um yeah we're excited to start this we will be getting back to you with a date sometime in september Mm -hmm. um but yeah this is our next book so we definitely encourage you to order it if you haven't read it yet and join us yeah so it's been a pleasure with these past seven episodes Mm -hmm going through this book we've learned a lot we hope that it's impacted you positively yeah. as well please do let us know how your journey's been just respond um for whichever channel that you've used to, to come across this this recording and yeah tune in for season two of the anti-racism book club thanks again for your time thank you Bye-bye. bye bye thank you for joining the anti-racism book club If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with others you think would enjoy it too. Follow or subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And if you're listening on the Anchor app, feel free to leave us a voice message.